How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to the Creative Collision Podcast. This is your host, Said here, bringing you a new, a new uh, show for you. On this episode, I'm going to be reviewing episodes three and four of the Last Dance documentary about the Chicago Bulls, of course, and um, just get into these past two episodes, everything that happened, and and uh, just a reaction and my thoughts about it. So let's just start off in order that they came out. Let's start off with episode three. Episode three was centered more around Dennis Rodman and uh, and uh, his not so much his his life because they didn't get really into his life that much, but just his his uh, his time with the with the Bulls and his time in the NBA. So let's, let's start off there because that's that's uh, where the episode. Um, picked up uh picked up on like right away we got into Dennis Rodman and and one of the most you know interesting NBA players that's ever played um they they talked a little bit about his past and and uh his his childhood growing up um apparently he was one of 20 children which is fucking crazy um he never knew his dad, so they touch a little bit on that. Uh, but I, you know, I, I wanted them to, I wanted them to do a little bit more about that, about his background and his life, because because we honestly don't really know much about about Rodman. Um, we just know that he was a great rebounder, a great defender. He won championships with the the Bulls and and uh, and the Pistons, and and he also, uh, I mean, we know all that stuff. You know, like he dated. Madonna and and uh, Carmen Electra, but not so much about his personal life and why he like why he kind of became the person he ended up becoming. Um, but uh, apparently, he didn't really want to. I mean, that's all that's all up to him. It didn't sound like he really wanted to talk about that type of stuff a lot. Uh, I saw um, an interview on ESPN with um, after the show aired. Uh, ESPN. It was Jalen Jacoby. They did a interview with um, the the um, director of of uh, the Last Dance, and uh, I forgot his name, but he said that uh, when he went to go try to talk to Dennis Rodman, when he went to go interview with him, he was like <laughs> two hours late, and he didn't really know like what it was for. He's like, "What is this for again?" And Rodman was only going to give him like ten minutes. He ended up like. You know, and he, I think Rodman ended up requesting for like a, a sandwich or something like before he got started. Like, like uh, he was, <laughs> he didn't really want to talk a whole lot, and you know, he really had to get him to talk. And um, so I can see why I didn't really get a lot to his background as much. Still, still very interesting career and very interesting player, of course. Um, just his his story about going to Vegas, man. That that shit was that shit had me laughing. Um, he. He literally fucking took a vacation in the middle of the season and was like, fuck, I need to go party. I need to go to Vegas for a couple of days. Like, uh, the fact that that was able to happen back then just blew my mind. Just that that would never happen today. Like, there's no way um, that was, that was going to be able to happen today. So, yeah, the fact that he was able to just, to just like, go on vacation to Vegas in the, in the middle of a, a, you know, a championship title run, you know, and get away. Um, that was pretty wild. Uh, I know apparently like 
that was something that most people already knew that that were around at that time but like someone like me i never knew that was that was a thing that that happened and um the fact that uh phil jackson let him go to this trip um shows how much phil understands people and this was a great well this is an episode four now but that was, that was a great phil jackson episode uh, i think people got to know a lot more about phil and just what made him a great coach um it's good to see that, man, because I think over the last couple of years, especially with what happened with the Knicks, that Phil has gotten a bad rap. He's kind of, uh, his legacy has took a couple of shots lately. Um, you know, he's been uh, removed from coaching for about 10 years now. So, you know, his career since he stopped coaching hasn't been good. He failed with the Knicks. Um, you know, he had that one time where he, he called LeBron's uh, his team like a posse, you know, that rubbed people the wrong way, and and he, you know, he's he's kind of hurt his reputation a little bit. But this documentary is is uh, really showing what made Phil Jackson the greatest coach of all time, um, and it's definitely reminding people why he's the greatest coach of all time. Because uh, I think people started to not look at Phil as the greatest coach uh, over this last, you know, 10 years or so. You know, I started to see people talk about how Greg Popovich is, you know, has is a better coach or, or you know, whatever it may be because even though Greg Popovich hasn't, he's won, what, five championships, like half the amount that Phil did, less than half actually, but people were started starting to call Popovich the better coach because he's still coaching and he's still consistently getting the Spurs to the playoffs year in year out without you know the greatest talent in the world he was able to beat Miami Heat you know the big three in Miami um you know with a young Kawhi Leonard and old Tim Duncan so uh you know he was starting to get that that level of like and started to surpass Phil in a lot of people's eyes but this documentary is reminding people that know Phil Jackson is still the greatest coach of all time. And it's not as simple as just rolling out a basketball. And because you have the greatest players in the world that you're supposed to win. I mean, obviously it helps to have Michael Jordan and it helps to have Scottie Pippen and Kobe and Shaq. Of course, like that's the reason you're going to win championships. But it takes a personality like Phil to to manage all those egos, man. Cause dealing, think about dealing with MJ, um, dealing with Rodman, the way he did, like Phil understanding Rodman, the way he did and telling them like, you know, treating him as like each person is their own individual person. And they all need to be treated a different way. And a lot of coaches try to treat everybody the same way. Cause they want, you know, they don't want to cater to their superstars or, or whatever it may be. So, a lot of coaches use that approach, like that team approach, and you know it. It works at times, but not when you, when you have a team of of star players. It, you you need somebody that can manage those egos together, and uh, Phil, in this episode, really showed why he was, you know, the guy he was, why he was able to win eleven championships. Because, you know, if you put any other coach in that scenario, I don't think. 
with the same talent and the same roster, I don't know if any other coach would, would be able to win as much as Phil did. And you know, it's it's telling that Michael Jordan never won without Phil. MJ, you know, never wanted to play for another coach other than Phil Jackson at the end of his career. You know, we see it. He said it several times already in these, these first four episodes. You see clips of Jordan back in 98, you know, saying, I'm, I'm not going to play for another coach other than Phil Jackson. Like, I will literally retire than play for another coach. And that's what he ended up doing, right? So it showed the level of respect that Jordan had for him. Because if Jordan thought that Phil was just, you know, an average coach, uh, he would have kept on playing, you know. He would have not cared. He would have stayed with the Bulls. Um, uh, after Jerry Krause let Phil Jackson go, you can go 82-0. and You're not going to come back, you know. If MJ didn't really think Phil was that great of a coach, he would have been like, okay, you know, you still got me. It doesn't matter what coach it is, you know, Phil wasn't that good anyways. I'll still win. Like, you know, Jordan understood how great Phil Jackson was. And, uh, you know, Shaq and Kobe did as well. Shaq and, you know, Kobe never won a title without Phil. Um, You know, Shaq won one another title without Phil um, as an older player, though, you know where he wasn't the main guy anymore, right, with Dwayne Wade in 06. And, you know, even that team was coached by a legendary coach as well with uh, Pat Riley. Um, but, yeah, and it's, it's just incredible to see Phil really be the Zen master because we always hear about Phil as a Zen master, right? Uh, we hear stories and about how how Zen he is, how cool he is. Um, but you really got to see like why he is called a Zen master in this episode. He was a sippy dude, you know, all about like, uh, you know, just Indian reservations and, and having Indian artifacts, things like that. And being this cool, mellow ass dude that, you know, took acid one time and wrote about it. Like <laughs> he just, he's just like a, a, a you know, a dude he just want to hang out with. Phil Jackson is that type of dude that you just want to talk to. And like, he can share like mad stories with you, uh, but it made him it made him able to understand people and and uh, relate to Dennis Rodman and knowing that you know this is the best for him. You know he needs to he needs to let loose every once in a while. You know, and he he treated every player with differently. That's what made him a great coach. So I thought it was a great Phil Jackson episode. I want to give a shout out to Tex Winter as well because he he was a guy that invented the triangle. You know, a lot of people think that Phil Jackson was the guy who started the triangle, uh, but he got it from Tex Winter, um, who was you know his assistant, and you know the the guy that invented the triangle. And I want to give him a shout out because he's passed away now, and and he I think he deserves a lot of credit for for starting this building this offensive system that led to, you know, 11 rings essentially with Phil, right? So he was the architect of that. And uh, Jerry Krause, I actually want to give a shout out to for, for having faith in Tex Winter, you know. Um, I know the the previous week, those first two episodes, uh, a lot of people are hating on Jerry Krause and deservedly so. He deserves blame for for breaking that team, breaking that team up, of course, but... He also deserves credit for for finding Phil Jackson for for you know 
firing a good coach, you know, having the balls to fire Doug Collins, who, who was a good coach, who Michael Jordan liked, who just took the, the team to the conference finals, you know, I mean, to, you know, after three years, fire uh, a coach that was you know, doing well and was improving every year with the team and just seeing the vision and feel. Um, so, yeah, I give a lot of credit for Krause for, for giving Phil Jackson that chance and discovering Phil and also give him a lot of credit for seeing how how great Tex Winters was, too, in his, his uh, triangle offensive system. Because uh, Jerry Krause was a big component of Tex Winter, he he there's that clip in the documentary where he he calls Tex Winter the the most brilliant basketball mind he's ever known. You know, it's incredible praise. And and Phil Jackson was smart to listen to Tex Winter and starting to adopt his triangle offense ideas. That's probably the biggest reason why I led to him getting becoming the head coach because Doug Collins didn't want to use the triangle. Um, and Phil Jackson, as an assistant coach, started to to uh, learn about the triangle, and and that, that probably that's probably why Jerry Krause really um, saw, you know, invested so much in Phil at that time. Like, okay, you're, you're ready to be the coach. Um, so, I mean, you can't argue with the results. It led to eleven rings. It led to eleven championships. And uh, and how I, I want to give Krause credit for trusting. Phil Jackson seeing the vision with that uh, for for also um, seeing the vision of the triangle with Tex Winter because I know he's Jerry Krause has been crapped on a lot already so I think he does deserve some credit some credit where it's due and he definitely deserves credit for this um, so that was uh yeah that was probably the stuff that I like the most I actually wanted to get more about Phil so I hope he still get more about Phil and his his life. I mean, I know he's still going to be in it, but I still hope you get to learn more about him too and just see other other examples of him being a great coach you know, during the rest of his documentary. Um, yeah, so uh, the other the other big thing was uh, the the Bad Boy Pistons showdown. Right, four years in a row, the Bulls play the Pistons. In the playoffs, um, the first time they played them, they lost in in uh, five games. The second time they lost in six games. The third time is when it went seven games, and then uh, they finally go over the hump in 1991 and swept the Pistons. Right, uh, that was a uh, that was good to see how just how hard the Pistons played and how hard they were on Jordan. Um, Cause I think younger people, you know, we hear about the bad boy Pistons, but you know, we're, we, we hear about how, how hard and how tough basketball was played in the eighties. Um, but you know, we're like, yeah, okay. You know, you know, there's YouTube videos and stuff like that we can watch, but I felt like the way they put it together in the documentary and the way Jordan talked about it and Isaiah talked about it and um, all the, you know, John Sally talked about it and all the other Pistons players and Bulls players that the interview talked about that whole run there, uh, matchups. I think you really got to 
get a real feeling for how hard the game was played back then, how physical the game was played back then. And you just see how Jordan was just getting hammered anytime he entered the paint, like anytime before he jumped, they're fouling him two, three times over, you know, but only one foul would get called. So it's like you're getting fouled two or three times every possession, but only one actual foul is getting called. And just about every time you're getting fouled, it's like, would it be considered a flagrant foul in today's NBA? Um, you know, that's, it's just crazy to see how, how much the game has changed and, and seeing Jordan go through that. Cause I think watching Jordan go through that and you see, if you look up his stats during that whole four year run against the Pistons, even though they're fouling his ass like crazy and beating him up, he still averaged like 30 points a game on like 50% shooting nearly. Like it was crazy. Like he still put up like elite numbers. So, so just imagine like if you played in today's NBA with the, the floor spacing with no big man in the middle where, you know, if you get hit as hard as you did in the eighties, it's a flagrant too. you know, every single time. So, He's easily averaging 40 points a game in today's NBA. You know, just watching this documentary and seeing seeing how physical the game was, uh, he's easily averaging 40 points a game today. There's no question about it. Like, he's doing it, like, on 55% shooting, too. Um, Jordan would score 40 in his sleep. He would average 40 in his sleep in today's NBA. Um, I know, like, the one thing athletes today are like faster and quicker so he probably wouldn't be able to get by people as easily as he would in the 80s but he still would be considered supremely athletic so he still would get by you know his defender he might have to work a little bit harder to get by his his initial defender so that might be the only thing that's harder in today's NBA than it was back then for Jordan to get by his his first Man, but even then, I don't even know if it is harder because back then you're still able to hand check. You can still, you know, give somebody an elbow, and and even though you weren't as quick as Jordan, you can still kind of get into him and slow him down if you try to get past you. Today, even though there's more athletic players, you can't, you still can't hand check. You still can't really, you can barely touch them without getting a foul. Like how James Harden draws a foul every time he freaking attempts a shot because like he's. He's just, you know, bringing his arms up and the defender touches him and it's a foul, right? So, so I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't see how Jordan wouldn't be able to average forty in his sleep in today's NBA. Like it's, it'd be easy, easy for him, you know. Um, so that was uh that was cool to watch that whole. I, I knew they were gonna get into that this this uh this week. It was really cool to watch that. You hear a lot of stories about it. And you just see the animosity still um, with MJ and Isaiah. The fact that um, MJ, he's still holding, 30 years later, still holding a grudge about the Pistons walking off the court without shaking shaking their hands. And I'm more on the, um, I'm more on Jordan's side about in, on this situation. People are debating back and forth what is worse or who's in the wrong. Uh, I get both point of views, but I still more on Jordan's side because you know it it just feels a little it just feels weak you know for such a tough team as the Pistons were it felt like a weak move and and um 
I do think it's blown a little out of proportion now. The fact that 30 years later is still like a big deal, but it's only a big deal because Jordan's still making it a big deal. Like if Jordan didn't make this a big deal, then, you know, people would have forgot about the whole situation. But the fact that he still holds a grudge about it is why it's, <laughs> why people still talk about it. And I'm starting to, I, start, I feel a little bad for Isaiah now. I mean, the fact that he still ha- gets asked questions about walking off and, and all that shit, like, he's probably so sick of it, you know, but, uh, I mean, looking back at it and just seeing, uh, seeing it, like, uh, they were in the wrong, they were in the wrong for doing that, um, you know, Jordan did shake his hand, all the other years, they lost to the Pistons before then, Jordan did shake hands with him and with the whole team and, and, uh, gave them their props, so, the fact that they, you know, they lose one time and they act like, you know, poor sports about it. Uh, I see where Jordan's coming from on that on that situation. Um, so uh, yeah, I think this this series is it just keeps getting better and better. I uh, I'm really enjoying watching this. It's it's something I could look forward to every Sunday night. Um, I like the fact that they're doing the two episodes at a time instead of just releasing the whole series. Because uh, it, it's like a live reaction, you know, on Twitter. We can all talk about it at once and have our reactions to it. So, uh, definitely looking forward to seeing where it goes into this next week. Uh, this, looks like this next week is going to be uh, a Kobe episode where Kobe's going to be involved in it. So, you know, that's going to be something special. And, you know, tears might start flowing again. You know, seeing Kobe with Jordan um, my next week episode. So something I'm definitely looking forward to. Um, yeah, let's, uh, well, actually I want to go back to Rodman a little bit too. Um, talk about his, how he was as a player, uh, from like what people that are older say is like Dennis Rodman was, especially in his time on the Pistons, they say he was the best defender of all time. Um, the best pound for pound, you know, on ball defender of all time in his prime, you know, with the Pistons. And, and I kind of, I kind of wish they talked about Dennis Rodman's playing career a little bit more, especially his time with the Pistons. Cause they, they talk about his, his time with the Bulls and, you know, the fact that, you know, he was a great rebounder and all that. And, and they go into a little bit how he became a great rebounder, how he studied the the shots of opposing teams, opposing players, knowing where the ball is going to bounce off the rim and getting a position to to uh, grab rebounds, which was cool and very, very dope and interesting to see because, you know, I know you players probably know how their own teammates went you know, how they shoot and, and when their own teammates shoot, like where, where the shot's going to miss because they see their own teammates shoot all the time. But I bet it's rare that the player is studying like other players in the league, opposing teams and taking the time to actually study every other player and how they shoot and where it can, where a rebound can bounce. So that was cool, but, um, they didn't really talk about him on the Pistons as much and the role he had with that team and how great of a defender he was in the Pistons. Cause, um, you know, people say he, he really locked down like Larry Bird and, and magic 
in those playoff runs. And I think it would have added more substance to Dennis Rodman, the player, if they talked about him as a defender more and how great of a defender he was. Because I don't think a lot of younger people really know that. When I'm watching this documentary, um, I'm taking into account what people who are younger or what people that just don't know how good these players were, how they are thinking about it. Because I know Dennis Rodman, just, I know he was a great defender, just me studying the game. But I would like for other people to get to know that too. So um, that would have been cool. But um, other than that, I still thought the documentary is really, it's been really good. It's been great so far. I can see this trending in a direction where it's going to win awards by the end of this. So, um, so yeah, that's just my recap and review of episodes three and four. And, uh, you know, I'm doing this next week again. Um, see you guys next week with episodes five and six about it. Um, and uh, we'll review those episodes as well. So hope you guys enjoy. Stay safe. Catch you guys on the next one.